It's tough with memes now. Like the the weird they just thing. destroy people. Like Jordan. Like yeah, he's greatest. never gonna be, he's never gonna be taken seriously ever again. And, and and people forget. Like so, just yesterday he donated two million dollars. Yeah. Right? And people like don't care. They stop. They just made a meme about him crying face giving money. And I'm like, come on. I know. It's sad. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Everything. He's done a lot of stupid shit, but like, uh, he's still like that Jordan era. He was, he was a superhero. He was as yeah. close to a superhero that, Pretty much. that, you know, we've had. Yeah. And he's still kind of untainted. Like, really? Yeah. Like, no PED issues. No. Like, my hero growing up was Jose Canseco. Oh, God. Yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. favorite basketball player? Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant? Why? I like his tenacity. I like how hard he works at everything. So, when he retired, did that break your heart? It broke my absolute heart. It was my childhood. No, really? It was, it was, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I was tearing up at his last game. Do you wish he played like a couple more, uh, no, a couple I, more seasons, or do you think he ended at the right time? I think he really should have ended it two years ago. Um, I think right after that Achilles injury was the year I think he should have just laced it up. It was really sad to see him these last two years kind of like go from his former glory. People kind of forgot how amazing and how hardworking he was and took him for granted. So it was a lot, like these last two years were really hard to see him. It was a rough year to go out on, I think, with all the, I mean, they were the worst team in the league, yeah. all that controversy yeah. with D'Angelo Russell, you know, in the last like couple weeks. Yeah, it was, it was really something that like he didn't deserve as the kind of player that he is and what he has accomplished for the, for the Lakers. So it was tough. It was tough the last two years seeing him go through that. Well, do you think he'll come back like Jordan did? He'll just get the itch and maybe try to eke out a couple seasons? No, I no. think he's he's too crazy. Like he if he <laughs> he would never come back. I think he's just gonna be maniacal at some other thing. And he, he really cares about like how people see him, although he never lets on. Yeah. So I don't think he would ever come back. So what do you think of this? Like he was a notorious asshole, right? But yeah. not not an asshole in a way that like I think um, you know, he, he, just for the sake of it, he was just such a winner and he expected everyone to have such a high level of uh, intensity and gamesmanship and, and work ethic that I think he pissed a lot of people off. So what do you what do you think about that? Honestly, that was one of the things that I love about Kobe Bryant and right now too that I love about Russell Westbrook is that I love how much he cared about winning mm -hmm. to the point that he drove other people crazy and he expected other people to believe that they should care about winning as much as he does, and if he didn't, he didn't deserve to be on his so team. So, did he uh, drive Durant out of town? I think he, I think he may he may have. He he was so intense about the way he carried himself on the court, and like Durant is the complete opposite. He's so, so mellow. Chill. He's gonna fit in a lot better, I think, with the guys at Golden State. They're just a lot more chill, a lot more fun. Russell Westbrook's a maniac. Like he just cares about destroying people every game. Uh, I mean, watching him in the playoffs this past year, it, it's, it was like the Matrix. He was moving at twice the speed of everybody else. Yeah, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. Like, you, you think about, like, if he played other sports, like, how amazing he He's just, like, a pure athlete. Like, I don't even think he has, like, a ton of basketball technical skill, but he's just a freak athlete. Like, probably the best athlete in the NBA other than LeBron. I think so. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Watching him move just from the, you know... <laughs> 
a fitness and movement perspective, I, I was just blown away. At, yeah. And, and I couldn't stop watching him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of the most amazing players to watch on the court. Like the way he can get from like one end, like the way he can cover 94 feet, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. So you grew up playing basketball? I grew up playing basketball my whole life, like every typical Filipino kid did. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's uh, huge in the Philippines, right? It's like the major, it's, it's huge, the national yeah. sport. Basketball that and, and, and boxing and boxing. So like my my mom was either going to put me in one of those two, and she was a huge Michael Jordan fan. So obviously, I went in towards basketball mm-hmm. because of that. Are you straight Filipino or no? I'm Muslim? half Filipino. My dad's Lebanese, so I got like, okay. a little bit of an interesting mix. Yeah, I'm the only Filipino Lebanese kid I've ever met. So, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what kind what qualities of each kind of um, you know uh, of your ethnic background? What you know what comes out in you? What do you notice? Um, well, like the I day to day, I'm a lot more quiet, and that comes from the Filipino side. They're mm-hmm. like the strong, silent types. Um, but the like passion and drive to become really good at something and it like wearing kind of your heart on your sleeve comes from my dad's side. Lebanese people are very loud, very mm-hmm. passionate people, and that kind of comes from his side. Steve Jobs is half, uh, I believe, half Lebanese or half uh, Syrian. I don't remember, but yeah, but that was uh, oh yeah, as part of who he was as well, because he was adopted. Yeah. And so his uh, his father, and I don't remember which one, but uh, <laughs> I shouldn't confuse the two. The yeah. <laughs> Some political overtones there, but anyway, but um, you know, you're in good company. Yeah. So, so speaking of drive, uh, just, you know, looking over some of your accomplishments, um, and th- this is, you know, before you got into CrossFit, because you've been a member of the gym here for how long? Since November. Since November. And uh, I think anyone who knows you or seen you around here sees the the you know the work you put in the tenacity. You're here all the time, and uh, you know you definitely uh, come here with a purpose. But before that, I don't know. A lot of people may not know that you've completed seven ultra marathons. Yeah, seven ultras. <laughs> so, do you want to describe? Uh, to people who don't know what an ultra marathon is, um, so technically an ultra marathon is anything over a marathon. Um, so the introductory race usually for most people is the 50k, and the marathon of ultra marathons is the 100 miler, which is actually the one distance I haven't even attempted just yet. So that's almost like four marathons. Four marathons, yeah. Almost. Yeah. And to anybody who's done a, a marathon and knows the feeling of crossing that finish line and and being so thankful that it's finally over <laughs> you, could, you know you could rest for like two or three months after that um to have that in your head that you now you know you're, you're done one marathon now you have to complete almost three more what is that like it's it's honestly it's ultras has always been for me a mental game um, it takes you out of your comfort zone mentally and puts you in some really, really dark places and mm-hmm. forces you to come to grips with that. It doesn't matter how much training you put in, if you aren't able to kind of face the beast, as they say in ultras, you, you're going to crumble. Mm-hmm. Like you could put in hours and hours and hours of training, but the mental aspect that comes within an ultra is the most important thing. And, and same thing goes really for marathons because you eventually hit a wall. It's just in ultras, you hit like five or six walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what's that dark place like for you? It's, uh, it's a lot of negative self-talk. And I'm a generally very positive person. And even when I get all that negative self-talk telling myself that 
your, your brain's working against you telling you, you can't do this, this is terrible, why are you doing this to yourself? You're stupid for doing this. And you have to fight back with every urge to say, no, I can do this. I'm stronger than this. I'm stronger than this event. I can do this. I will finish this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a lot of that, a lot of negative self-talk coming at you constantly for like five hours. And now that you're into CrossFit, do you do you get into those same places during during workouts? Yeah, like it's different in CrossFit in that like you only face. I find that I only face that that negative self talk in short bursts, and it's just a lot more pronounced. Like in ultras, it's like a dull self talk that's kind of there. You're kind of kind of quiet down. In ultra, like like if I did Fran, like that's just pain yelling at you for six minutes, and you're just mm-hmm. like no fight through six minutes just fight through fight through it's just a lot louder a louder mm-hmm. voice yelling at you to stop so i remember when uh, this past february you were competing in the open that was your first crossfit open yeah and there was a particular workout there where um you know you were you were struggling i hope you yeah. don't let me talk you know, about yeah it. definitely um i know i know you're uh, you mentioned that your goal uh, is to be top 10 in the gym in the open at some point in the next year or two i guess uh ideally this next year but uh you know during that workout, uh, you know, you can describe it, but I think we all saw you really, really coming uh, to grips with your limits and, and kind of the edge that you were at. But what, what happened there? And maybe you can describe exactly. Yeah, so even before, when, that, when that workout was announced where you had to put 95 pounds over your head and do lunges and then do chest to bar pull-ups, um, as soon as I, that came out, I already knew that those were things I couldn't do. And I remember coming in that Saturday at like noon, I saw, I saw Justin and Leanne, and I was like, I don't know if I can put 95 pounds above my head, and I kind of did a little bit, and mm-hmm. then, and it was just, I was gonna see what would happen, and when I got there on Sunday and tried it, it was the most humbling experience I've ever experienced. It's been a long time actually since I've come across an athletic event where like I actually could not do it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't even close to being able to do it, and it was painful. And uh, which kind of fueled a lot of fires within me. Absolutely, and and I think it's interesting hearing you say that because you know you've done ultra marathons. Well, I mean, you know, I think anybody at this gym would would like um, just like cry, <laughs> like literally cry, and and uh, you know at the thought of doing one, like you know even five Ks, I think are challenging for some people. So you've done you know on the on the spectrum of challenges. Uh, that one could put their body through. You've done some of the craziest stuff. I mean, you've done triathlons as well and, and other things, but that short little workout where you just had to put a weight above your head and lunge with it, it wasn't a heavy weight, like you're a strong yeah. guy, but there was something in that in that position that really challenged you. And I think, uh, you know, and it just kind of goes to prove that CrossFit isn't necessarily always about how strong you are um, or how athletic you are, it's how prepared you are. Oh yeah, and it definitely is. And and I, I love the work and when it comes to CrossFit, I'm obsessed with the work and the process and mm-hmm. I think that's why I mesh so well with CrossFit. But yeah, when I came to that workout, I was like definitely not prepared. I hadn't done any of that stuff. Do you like finding your weaknesses? Oh yeah, I love finding my, I have, um, which I think what helps drive me in sports, I have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. So when I find something that I'm bad at, I get addicted to the idea of trying to get really good at it. And I'll just keep coming and keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again until like I get close to perfect at mm. it. And like when the sixth workout or fifth workout sorry got announced, the thrusters, I can do I couldn't do a ninety five pound thruster. 
And I worked at it for a month straight and I did it every day for a month and till I got ready for that day that we were gonna do 16.5. So I think uh, the other thing that was interesting to find out about you and, I, and the first time I met you was on a run. You, you had just joined the gym and you came out for one of our Thursday night runs. And uh, so, you know, I was running, uh, I was at the front of the pack and then there we were, I'm like, oh, who's this guy? I've never seen it before. So we got to talking and, and I found out that you were a law student, you know, which is, you know, you learn different things about people on the run, right? Just making conversation. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Um, you know, finding the sort of secret lives of people and, and it wasn't something that, um, uh, you know, just not in a like insulting way, but you didn't come across as a lawyer. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? not at all. Like you just don't <laughs> I kind of pride myself in that too, actually. <laughs> and, and maybe we'll get into that. But uh, you were, you know, you, you gave me a little bit of a, the history on yourself, you know, running track and running ultras. I'm like, oh, this is a really fascinating guy, you know, law, running ultras. So there's this, you know, uh, thread in your life of just performing at a very high level. But uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I learned about you and we, we got a chance to discuss and, and uh, you know, I'd like to talk about here is that, you know, you went through a very intense period in your life where you were pursuing law, but then uh, you decided to take some time off. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe we can, you can talk about your reasons for that. Yeah, so um, law school was a really difficult time for me in that I, I had to sacrifice a lot of things that I really loved notably athletics. Mm. Um, so you just weren't working out, weren't pursuing races. Yeah, and you really couldn't. And like when I went when I went to Maine, I, I wanted to run on the cross country team and that was my plan. Um, but you just really couldn't with the amount of workload. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could if you didn't care about grades. Um, but for me, it was really important that I did really well in school. And like the, the nature of, of being a lawyer and especially in climate like economic climate that we're in right now is that it's either dean's list or bust it's kind of like how people spoke about it is mm. if you didn't get on dean's list and you didn't get that perfect summer job you weren't really gonna have a head start when you got out of law school so you're i was constantly pushing myself towards that um so in my last year i really wanted to finish off being on dean's list and getting the, the perfect job during law school so i just kind of pushed myself to that point all i cared about was school which then eventually led to me having like pretty severe anxiety. Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep more than two, three hours a night. Um, I was riddled with the idea of, of the work I had to do. And at the time I was, I was also, um, I was also an, an extern at a law, uh, a law clinic in Belleville. And I had a, quite a bit of like a workload and I had a lot of people that I felt like depended on me. It was a lot of low income people and that if they didn't get disability, which was ODSP, mm -hmm. um, you know, their lives were in stake and in jeopardy and that all that pressure kind of like built upon me, which kind of led to more and more anxiety and eventually got to the point where like, I like, my mom's used to be a nurse where I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I either like, I need to get pills or like, this is not gonna, like, this is not that bad. Yeah, it was getting really, really bad at that point. Um, but luckily my mom is not a proponent of drugs and she told me I should really seek out alternative ways to like calm my mind, um, which actually led me to meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that the first time you dealt with anxiety? Yeah, like I never, with school, it always kind of came naturally. I always did 
well without really trying. Um, and I never really pushed myself, but when I got to law school, it was the first time that I was like in an environment where it was just like a bunch of type A kids that were all really smart and all very capable. And the way you were graded in law school was that you were on a curve. So you need to be better than this person to get a better grade. So they just set up that competitive environment. For yeah, you. and that's how it mm -hmm. is. And you, at the end of every semester, you're ranked, the rankings are, are published, and you know you want to be in the top 10 or top 20. So it drove, it drove, it drives you crazy if you have that personality to be so the, it's like the, the CrossFit best. Open of law. Pretty much, really, yeah. Right? Except with <laughs> way more like backstabbing and and like people that aren't the greatest. People are cheering for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. People are not cheering for you to do well because they want to do better than you do. Uh, so it yeah, it drove me nuts and 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 that was the first time I ever had to deal with like anything like that because I pushed myself to the edge and I saw what that was doing to me mentally. Do you think not having the outlet of uh, of sports and uh, health and fitness during that time, like it kind of pushed you more towards work and 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 less towards the things you were already doing, probably to, you know that were relieving a lot of those pressures and anxieties all along. Do you think that had something to do with it, with the mounting uh, stress, not having the ability to work out or run or do other things? Yeah, like it definitely did. Like the reason I actually, the first time I ever did ultras was that I was just kind of going through a tough period in a past relationship and ultras were my outlet, were my release. Mm. And it was the only way I could get like some sort of like sanctuary from like the outside pressures. So I would, I love the idea of being by myself for seven hours and running for seven hours. Cause I was like, okay, that's just me in my mind mm. and I can just do my own thing and no one's gonna bug me and I'm gonna come out of it feeling amazing. And during law school, I didn't have that. I didn't have that outlet. And the way law school works is that people's outlet was actually drinking. Lawyers are notorious for having huge drinking problems. We had a talk at law school like once a month about alcohol abuse because that was really everyone's outlet. It wasn't, it wasn't athletics, it wasn't running, it wasn't basketball. Luckily there was a main law basketball league, mm -hmm. but there was, yeah, it was alcohol or, or that was it really. Do you think the way people pursue um, intense academics needs to change? Do they need to balance their lives out more? Because it seems to be a common thread amongst, uh, you know, whether it's law or, um, you know, uh, medicine, uh, sciences, that you kind of just push, push, push to the breaking point and, you know, whoever's left, left uh, you know, standing essentially makes it through. But it seems like uh, that's not the most healthy way to approach performance. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's definitely not because you're getting people, you're getting people to, to get to a place where they really shouldn't have to get mentally. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've, I've always looked at other schools' grading process and the way they teach their curriculum. Like, it's actually kind of interesting. Um, I think it's either Yale or Princeton. They don't give grades. It's just pass-fail for mm. all, the entire law school. And it's one of the best law schools in the world. And they just don't do grades, just pass-fail, which is such a relief if you think about it as a lawyer. You're, you, you're oh, great, I don't have to deal with grades. I can just go do my best, learn what I can, and you know, you pass, you're great. Mm -hmm. Everyone's on the same playing field. But as soon as you are assigning a number to it, and you're putting a bunch of people that are type A and want to be the best, it's, it, it, it will naturally drive people into an environment that's gonna kill, like you're killing yourself mentally. To, to play devil's advocate though, uh, what you're describing as far as a graded environment is CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> it really is, right? Yeah, There's is. metrics for everything. Yeah. But the culture is completely different. It is. And you, and the that's why I actually fell in love with the academy is that 
yeah, we're kind of all competing with each other, and I have training partners in the morning that I'm competing against with, but like at the end of the day, they, they love you, they care about you. After we finish a workout, he walks over to me, to here is my training partner, he comes over to me and, and he tells me what I can improve mm-hmm. on, what I need to work on, what I did great. I wish I had someone in law school coming up to me and be like, hey man, that was a great sentence you just wrote in that essay. <laughs> you, you killed it. Or that was a really fantastic oral yeah. argument. Um, this is maybe how you can improve. I didn't have that. You, you had your professors helping you with that, but it was different. Like people, you were competing yeah. with one another. It's like we still need to be kids, right? Yeah. Like having our, you know, someone acknowledge our, uh, you know, how, how good we are or, yeah. or, you know, say, yeah, you can do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we never we never lose the need for that. No, and, I, and encouragement's a really powerful tool, and it's why I love the community that we have here in CrossFit and in running. You're always, you always have someone behind you encouraging you, or like if you ever have that experience where you're like in a dark place in a race, and then you like come across like a cheer squad and someone cheering for you, it is like a burst of energy like you've never experienced, mm-hmm. and that drives you to do better things, things that you wouldn't expect that yourself that you can do. So you, you took a year off of law, and and you got a retail job. Yeah. yeah. So you, you kind of did the opposite of what a lot of people do, which is you know they they're in some kind of a retail job, something that's not really rewarding for them, and they you know move into higher education. So you did the opposite. Yeah. And so you know what made you do that, and and what are you doing now? So my this past year, I I decided a personal goal for myself that I kind of want to get my head right. Um, I wanted to go back and do the things that I love and do the things that are just for me. And, um, you know, I would love if I could be a professional athlete in something because <laughs> I like I'm, I'm very much a proponent of sports and the benefits that it brings you mentally, uh, physically and, you know, in your self-esteem. And so I decided to take this whole year off. And so last summer I spent it trying to make Boston. So I took two cracks at it and it, it wasn't what I wanted, but I was in love with the process. Mm-hmm. And then I got, I came here and I got the job with Lululemon, um, which I've worked with them in the past and I've always found that it was, it's a good environment to work if you just want to pursue other things. They give you a lot of flexibility and it's not, it's not a hard job. You get to talk to people. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of like-minded people. A lot of people that, you know, care about their mental and physical health. So it was, it was a good balance towards, and a counterbalance, sorry, to, to, to legal, the legal life, mm-hmm. which I wasn't ready to dive into fully just yet. So I spent that year, I sp- I've spent this past year just taking time for myself and then, and then I came across CrossFit, which kind of took over my life. Uh, how else has that experience helped you working at Lululemon? Um, well, it's really helped me develop a lot of relationships and exposed me to a lot of creative, and athletic-minded people that I, I don't no- normally see in my life, uh, being in in, in uh, law, and it's I really I really admire people like that. I've always wished that I was a creative type person mm-hmm. or had a creative um, drive to, to do those things, and I love people that have that and make a career out of it and are like you know hustling and grinding every day. Like I really love that. I admire that about people. So I'm drawn to people like that. And I love helping people that are in that field. Mm-hmm. And Lululemon has really allowed me to do that. Like I've met some really amazing people here at Academy that are doing things like that. My girlfriend, she's she's a creative type, and you know I'm really drawn. What does she do? People. So she's uh, she went to school for fashion, 
And uh, she she also works at Lululemon, but you know she's she's kind of like a jack of all trades, like budding photographer, stylist, blogger, connector. Yeah. And and you know that's, that's basically like the, the Toronto profession right now. Yeah, it's and like great. there's so many people like that in this in Toronto, and I I love that that people like that, and they're just kind of living for themselves and doing it for for them. So Lululemon has really exposed me to a lot of these kind of people, mm-hmm. like like you know like you, and you're like hustling and doing all these amazing different things that all stem from like your love and passion of, of you know crossfit or athletics or mindfulness and it's nice to be around those people i think that's the the thing that most attracted me to this community um you know i went through a similar thing i've talked about it on the podcast before where i was working a uh, um a pretty great job um you know doing really well but there was definitely something missing mm-hmm. and as soon as i started crossfitting and and seeing that inv- you know that culture that environment of people uh not backstabbing each other but mm-hmm. really supporting each other and and you know we were all we we're all trying to get you know we we're trying to be better than everybody else but not in an environment where we were um you know it, it was me or you it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a zero-sum game it was very mm-hmm. much still a team and, and that was really cool. And that led to all these, you know, amazing uh, relationships and just, you know, new interactions. And, and here we are, you know, eight years later. Yeah. <laughs> doing a podcast about it. Um, so now that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be transitioning back into uh, law, mm-hmm. right? Like when, when do you think that's, you know, when, what's, the, what's the, uh, the process look like for you now? So right now, because I went to school in the States, so I'm, I'm writing my uh, accreditation exams in August um, to show the Canadian law people that I can practice law here. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be writing the bar exam in November. And then if all goes well, I'll be looking to get an articling position in May. Um, and I've decided that I think I'm gonna want to work as a lawyer outside of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, I'd like to go back out west. I used to work out west, um, so so BC, Alberta, BC, Alberta, up north in the mountains. A lot of running solace up there. Uh, it's a better balance, I think, for me mentally um, in that profession. So I'm immediately kind of sad. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sad too. And it's it's and I've I've spoken to my girlfriend about that. Like it's it was a really hard decision for me to come to, to grips with that. Like mm. for me to pursue this, I think I'm gonna have to pursue it outside of Toronto. And and why? I just, the the culture here with a lot of lawyers, and probably people are gonna hate me for saying this, but it is, it is very cutthroat and it's not healthy. You hear a lot about, like I've heard a lot of stories from the room mill about a lot of like ex-lawyer friends and current lawyer friends that have found themselves in taking a lot of drugs, like in a very like, negative lifestyle and they're working like 120 hour work weeks and I, like, I think about that I'm like that is not something that's attractive mm-hmm. to me and it's just going to get me back into that place where like I'm going to hate being a lawyer again and I'm going to want to leave and I want to do it on my own terms so I think going out west up north I've I've spoken to a lot of lawyers up there and it's a much more mellow lifestyle and I get to do what I what I first got into law for was like going into law to help the lower socioeconomic status people and help lower disadvantaged people to provide them legal access that they normally wouldn't get. So that's what you want to do. You want to work in social justice. Social justice, yeah. Um, and what draws you to that? Uh, to be honest, I think it was my parents. Both of them really came from nothing when they first moved to Canada. They they had nothing and they, they grinded and hustled and made 
something of themselves and provided a really good life for my sister and I. And and they never got the help that they probably needed. Um, and most of that is that legal access is really difficult for people that are making less than $50,000 a year. What type of issues are these people struggling with? Um, so it could be poverty, it could be medical issues, it could be immigration. Mm. And those are the big, poverty and, and housing laws, one of the biggest issues actually affecting Ontario. A lot of people aren't getting the adequate housing needs met with the way the housing procedures working in, in Canada. A lot of people are kind of stuck on waiting lists to try to get on like community housing. Um, they're not being provided with like the adequate services that they would need and you need a lawyer to help you get through those like red tape and mm. the out entire process because it is really daunting and it's filled with red tape and a lot of like paperwork that like you just don't really understand. And so you need a lawyer to get through through those things and that's really what I found myself that I really want to do again. It could be really scary for people, I think, who are new to this country to have to navigate, um, I mean, the process and also just the, the mounds of legal jargon that yeah. nobody understands. Nobody understands. And like half the time, like you, you, I read a sentence and I'm like, this really could be worded in, in an entirely more friendly nature, but it's not. And it's, it's written by, by other lawyers and it's made in that way. But so a lot of people struggle with trying to even just like the basic process of like going to the housing board and like applying to, you know, evicts up, getting, getting out of an eviction, like at the basic thing and like you know you get summoned to the housing board and that's really scary for a lot mm -hmm. of people and so being there to provide that support legally is is really important and so you you want to do this type of work um you know out west yeah and and who do you want to help out there um what draws I've, you there? I've, I've always had a drive actually to help in in within aboriginal law mm -hmm. when I, right after i graduated university I, I got a position as recreational director in, in an aboriginal community called kikino so i was a recreational director Where was that uh it's in northern alberta just about two hours north of edmonton so this small metis community uh, i was a recreational director there and and i saw there was a lot of issues facing aboriginal which there's still issues facing people here and who knows, maybe I'll find a job in Northern Ontario. That'd be great too, to stay close to home. Um, but yeah, I would love to, there's a lot of Aboriginal issues that are facing, uh, that are being faced with in our country. Um, a lot of a lot of sexual assault issues, a lot of family law issues. I, actually, my ultimate goal is if I don't somehow move out West, is I would really like to open up a nonprofit here in, in Ontario that deals specifically with family law and focusing on mediation. Yeah, you you sent that uh, in the email uh, to kind of get some notes on you. You sent uh, sent that uh, I'd like to eventually start my own nonprofit focusing on mediation and family law. For some, at first, I thought it said meditation. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, I want to dig into that a little bit more. But uh, but really, you know, uh, it, you know, the kind of joking, not joking. Do you want to bring some kind of uh, you know, different perspective into family law because it seems to me when people, especially at the, at the point of crisis within a family, there's yeah. a, everybody's just absolutely you know going nuts. Is there is there a particular uh, style or demeanor that that you would want to draw from uh, to actually you know fix family problems? Yeah, and you know, like I I don't like the traditional method of just going to court. And I think if I if I do end up starting this nonprofit, it's going to take a very alternative approach. Mm -hmm. um, I love 
the, the things that I've learned from our gym and from the people that have been around and, and I found myself meditation and we do a lot of that stuff here in the gym about mindfulness mm-hmm. and bringing that to the nonprofit I, with that mat and kind of being like it being a full service suite and offering people um, mental support in that form and like meditation and, and counseling in that form to help deal with the crisis that they are obviously facing. It would be a, a good alternative, and then and then putting them in a room to talk mm-hmm. because so talk, you, you would do that first before yeah, you get to the yeah because mediation. part of the part of the problem with the law process is that it's adversarial in nature, and people that are ready are not in a happy place as a couple on coming to to the to the table and trying to deal with specifically what I want to deal with is custody issues. Mm-hmm. Coming to the table in an adversarial process and trying to deal with custody of of a child. It's not going to be in the best nature of the child because they're going to be angry. So putting them in a place where they're happy or they're willing to negotiate a compromise for the kid before that happened would be very beneficial to the kid. Yeah, it seems that the whole system is set up in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And people have been speaking about that for a very long time. It's it's How not the best. It? And it hasn't changed. And the problem is that how law works is that it's impossible to create changes. Mm-hmm. It needs so to so where is the change gonna come? Is it gonna come from people like you, nonprofits actually pushing uh, a different culture within uh, the context of law? Yeah, and, and there's actually been a, a really big push within law for mental health, mental health advocacy. It, it's been focused first on on lawyers themselves because lawyers are notorious for having really bad mental health issues. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, we're starting to gain on, on our suicide rate. It's getting really, really bad. A lot of the, Lawyers are getting admitted. Um, so there's been this big push for mental health with lawyers. And now I think it's going to trickle down to like our clients, our, our support workers, and then moving that into a better outlook and how we're going to deal with, with our clients and like future clients. It makes sense because, you know, you get into law school with all these uh, very altruistic notions. Mm-hmm. I would suppose most people probably yeah. do in your class. They wanted yeah. to change the world or... Or, or, or what have you. And then it seems the whole process just produces this toxicity. Oh yeah, and I was the same way. I got into law school and I had this you know, beautiful utopian idea of how I'm gonna save the world. Like, yeah, these are the tools I'm gonna get. I think I'm you still have amazing. that. I mean, I still do, but a lot of it has, has been kind of like beaten out of me because now I know how the process works. It's, and I actually have this very like uh, pronounced memory of this girl in our second criminal law class. And she's like, she was super angry about the idea behind reasonable doubt. So the way you get out of, of a criminal law um, like battle is that you have to, if you can provide reasonable doubt that you didn't do it, and it could mm-hmm. be like 1% that like, oh yeah, they didn't do it, you'll get out. And so this girl, I remember she was, we were reading a case and she was so angry about the idea that like this murderer who clearly did it got off. And the lawyer and our professor was like, yeah, that's just how the process works. And she just stormed out. She's like, I quit law school. Right. And just left and never came back. And a lot of, and that's just kind of like an interesting microcosm of like how a lot of people feel about the legal field. It's, it's tough, I guess, you know, if you really want to change something, you're facing this institution, which seems yeah. unchangeable. Yeah. It's been around for hundreds and hundreds. It's been around since like, mm-hmm. since time, like yeah. the powdered wigs and yeah. all that stuff. It's been right? around for a long time, but I think now with my, with our, my generation is that there has been a push to change things mm-hmm. and, and to bring things back to grassroots, which is really attractive to me because I love that about CrossFit. I love that about running and, and, you know, I would want to approach law in that way. 
in a grassroots feel. Uh, what advice would you have to uh, someone in a similar position to to you, maybe uh, you know, back at that time? So who, whether it's law school or medical school, but someone who is essentially uh, you know kind of coming apart because of the stress, because of the doubts, and and you know, what do you what do you think would be uh, a good route for them to take? I honestly, I think is finding balance right from the very beginning, mm. and and I and I don't think it's unachievable to find balance in law school or med school or business school or whatever like high achieving work you're trying to do. But if you're in school, you've got to have a job. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you have a relationship. Yada yada. How do you do it? You know, and I I still I struggle with that even now, like trying to study and trying to come to CrossFit, have a girlfriend, and go to work. I'm, I struggle with the idea of, of how am I going to find time to do all these things, and I still don't know an answer. And I and I can't truly give genuine advice to a person that was mm-hmm. is going through the same thing. I try to take it day by day. I write down my goals, like okay, today I'm going to get two hours of studying, an hour of CrossFit, some time with my girlfriend, and go to work. If I can accomplish like six of those things, not maybe not all, I'm happy because I I did the best that I can, and mm-hmm. I and you just gotta let the rest go, because it, if you don't, you're just, you're gonna drive yourself crazy and, and lead to yourself to like an unhealthy place. Do you think you have to be comfortable in those dark places that you talked about? I think so because I think if you don't, you're gonna succumb to some bad things, and and being able to say that okay, I'm going through the shit, as they say, I'm going and. There's a really great author I love, Haruki Murakami. Yeah. He talks a lot about, about like, when I think about yeah, when I, yeah. I think about running. Yeah, and he yeah. goes he talks specifically about like going through the storm. And mm-hmm. that when you're in the storm, you have no idea how you're gonna get out of it or like what you need to do, but eventually like you get out of it and you look at the other side like, hey, I did it. And and a lot of that I think when you read that that passage is that it's you have to have belief in yourself and the belief mm-hmm. that you have the support system and the network to get you out of it. And that's, I think, the best way to get out of those dark places, being okay that you are in it, because everyone goes through the dark places, and I don't care who you are, but you have to be okay with facing it and believing that you can get to the other side. I've heard so many people mention it. I know it's been uh, something that I've drawn from in my life, but the training, whether it's CrossFit or running or, or Olympic weightlifting, um, you know, you, you get into the shit, you get into the dark places, and that really transfers over nicely to regular life, whether it's a job, um, you're going to start, it's like, okay, I've been here before, it really sucks, but I'm, I'm gonna deal with the feelings, I'm gonna breathe, and I'm gonna find the opportunity in, in the darkness. And that seems to be the the universal thing that, mm-hmm. that people draw from when they get to uh, you know they get to that workout that <laughs> that scares them or that point in the run which they've never uh, you know uh, experienced before. Yeah, and and that's really important. Like being in that moment is really important because it helps you for the next time that you're in that moment. Right. And you know we talk about it, and you and I can probably talk about it, and some people may not have experienced it, but. And it seems really fluffy to be like, oh, I'm in the moment, in the dark place, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's not fluffy at but all. But it's not. It's, it's, it's really, really fucking important. hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And like you have to be in it. And, and you have to accept that you are in it because it helps you get through the other side. And it, it really, honestly, like it applies to everything. And when I like think about like hard times in law school, I draw upon like, hey, you know what? I've ran eight hours. Mm-hmm. I've made it through eight hours of running. That was fucking hard. Yeah. I can get through one exam. I can do this. Right. And then now when I look back, I'm like, hey, I went through like 
10 hours of studying and made it through and did really well. I can do, I can do Fran. I can do a chess bar sure. And then taking that to work and, and everything is just universal and transfers to everything. That was a big reason why uh, for the last three years I've really pursued running, long distance running. Um, because I was pretty decent at um, short intense efforts. You know, I could get, mentally I could push myself through. But it was the longer stuff that you know my my mind would eventually uh, you know it would convince me to stop or or or, uh, or not give it my all, and so you know I think the challenge of a of a half or a full marathon was it's it's a completely different mental framework. It's just an onslaught of of you know negative thoughts that you have to deal with, and in a lot of ways for the job that I have now, which is essentially, you know, running a business, managing, dealing with a lot of complex things, a lot of, you know, people mm -hmm. <laughs> every day and a lot of voices every day. Um, it was almost exactly the same kind of mindset where, you know, you have to be um, steady and consistent throughout a period of time and, and, and convince yourself not to give up. So you have to have this like, you know, vision uh, that that will take you through the incredibly long distance in pursuit of what you're trying to do, right? Because when the workout's short, when it's six minutes or, or even 15, 20 minutes, it's, you're, not, you're never that far away from your goal. Mm -hmm. But when it's like you know four hours or whatever, give or take, that's a long time. That's a long time to be focused. Mm -hmm. and, and I found that to be like really rewarding. It, it was, uh, um, you know, and it's, it's funny, like running for me, it was never, um, you know, I would have loved to qualify for Boston, um, uh, but it was always more of that, like what can I do with myself mentally? How could I go to a dark place and, and what am I gonna find there? And that to me was the, the most interesting thing uh, about running. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, and a lot of people draw a lot of love from running from that. They love the, the mental aspects and the mental powers that it gives them. And mm -hmm. I, I personally fell out of love with running last year for a little bit, not being able to get to Boston, to, like with two tries and I just, I stopped and, and then CrossFit was my outlet and it took over my obsession with running for that. But this year, honestly, like seeing two friends run a race, seeing my girlfriend run her race and seeing them just doing it just to do it. Like they're mm -hmm. doing it running for them, for feeling better about themselves and like it goes, brings you back to running. and. And this year, and that brought me back. Like I'm going back to running for like the, the mental love that I get from it, like the runner's high that I get from it. Like who cares about other stuff? Like my goal this year is to just to love running and be in running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you also have some CrossFit goals. So you, you know, uh, you wrote back to me that uh, this year uh, you want to get a body weight snatch. Yeah. That, What's I, your body weight? 160. 160, where are you at right now? I'm at a hundred. I I spoken to Justin about, it and he said that 160 might be too lofty in a year, but 130 is more achievable. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I think that's that's going to be the goal for. And I I now it's like my love for CrossFit is kind of evolved into this huge love for ollie lifting, mm -hmm. like really loving, and and it, it really relates a lot more back I think to running more so than CrossFit is that. It's the little technical processes that you get in running, like perfecting your stride, your paces, your heart rate. And in, in ollie lifting, it's all these little things like where your hand placement, keeping the bar closed, like mm -hmm. your mental aspects that come with it. It's very analytical. Very analytical. And, and I love like the numbers and the statistical size behind running. So it really meshes with me mentally, ollie lifting. And, and now I'm starting to huge love for that. I started taking, going to 
to Varbanov's mm-hmm. Ollie class, which I really love. I've learned more about mindfulness and meditation in Olympic weightlifting than I have uh, studying mindfulness and meditation, just because of the you know the immediacy of the the result in your concentration snatch especially because snatch is you know it's definitely about strength but but not only mm-hmm. and so when you miss a snatch it's because you've maybe you know like Alex says you know focus right you haven't mm-hmm. you haven't uh, the bar you know drifts away from your body it's not close enough you know you don't you don't get under the bar whatever there's all these technicalities to it and uh, so you know you make a lift you miss a lift um, but then you have to think about it before your next attempt so there's this natural uh, kind of interval. Of, of mindfulness that you have to apply. And if you don't, then you'll never get better. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's really, and I love that about that. I love that like, it's like you, when I find myself about to lift something, everything just goes black and it's just me in a bar and I have to get it over my head mm-hmm. or I need to like get it off the ground. And it was actually one of my favorite uh, podcasts was listening to Justin talk about his process and hearing from him because he's, he's such a talented lifter mm-hmm. and seeing how he gets through it in his in his mind and trying to apply this, the things that he's talked about and, and you know I try to pick his mind as much as I can in in class because he has and I, I admire that fact that how much focus he has even though he doesn't really talk about it all that much but like you know his focus must be like laser tight every time and mm-hmm. that's a really big attractive point for me with with all the lifting is just the ability to develop your your focus yeah it's it's all it's so much of it is has is mental and, and it's funny like I I talk to some people in the gym and, and some people that are missing lifts and they're like, why is this happening? And it's funny, I, I'm, I mess with Tahir all the time. He's a gym member here, but sometimes his focus is like not on the, like the pace it needs to be. He's like so distracted. He's a little chatty. Yeah, he's chatty. But like, that's, that's what we love about him. Yeah, and then that's what makes him miss lifts. And it's funny like how you have to be very mindful of where you are and what you're about to do to get into that place where like, okay, I'm gonna pick this thing up and yeah. nail it. Is that why, again, you like Kobe so much? Yeah, and I love, I love that tenacity that like, he comes with. He's, he's so focused. And I used, used to, in high school, and when I like, ended up going to play basketball at university, was, I loved his 666 training method. It was like six hours a day, six days a week for six months. Right. And he just was in a dark place for that whole time. And, and I got obsessed with that. And I found myself doing the same thing with basketball and training. It was just six hours a day, six mm-hmm. days a week for six months. And, and going into that place and accepting that you're gonna to have to be in this dark place for that long and results will come from that. Speaking of LA and um, actually, you know, touching a lot of things we've, we've already mentioned, uh, have you seen the OJ I haven't, I haven't. Everyone said such great things. It's like, it's on my list. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it's funny. It, it covers all these things, really. Yeah. You know, athletics, social justice, um, you know, uh, the, the legal system in general. And it's so, it, it's such a crazy documentary. I was kind of over the whole OJ thing. Like, yeah. it's just too much OJ. I grew up in that era. I remember yeah. it. It's funny going back now, I wasn't aware of all the social issues that I mean, I was I, I knew about them, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how they really connected to that verdict. Yeah, and how much, you know, um, you, you know how much it was against, like basically was black and white. Yeah, and and how that actually now how it's so important to look back at that and also see what's happening now with the U.S. election and all the police shootings and all that stuff. Um, it's it's a pretty cool documentary. I think yeah. like you would be all over it. Yeah, that's definitely on my list. Like especially with what's happening now and and actually and 
and I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but the speech that Michelle Obama gave yeah. about Hillary Clinton. Amazing. That was, and I was definitely tearing up and, and thinking about that speech. And that was a really good counterweight to the stuff that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's nice to see that there is still like a lot of good and hope in, in the world. And, and, and that speech was a really good example of that total contrast to yeah. what was happening in the Republican convention yeah which is like the angriest thing mm. and scariest thing to, to see like it's it's terrible like, well it's they're awful. really preying on on the worst in people you yeah. know the, the, those emotional uh, responses and the feelings that uh, are in most cases very logical yeah right? I, I, a huge part of me is really hoping that is Donald Trump is just like this one big troll on the world and he on is. Republicans that he's just being a, a jackass just to see, to show people that like, oh, I can do this. And like, this is what is coming out of you guys. Because I always keep reading that quote that he's saying that he, back in 98 when he was like, oh, I could just run if I was going to run, I was going to be part of the Republican Party and I'll just make up a bunch of lies and they'll believe me. Right? Yeah. And like, maybe <laughs> like that's he's what he's doing. I'm hoping that that's what it is. And he's not like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that's so fascinating about it. Like, yeah. I, I hate the fact that I'm really interested in it and yeah. it's so fascinating, but it is. It's it's like the the most, um, the biggest scale reality TV show that ever was with the most potential, like, horrible outcomes. Yeah. It's really bad. Yeah, it is. And, like, all I keep thinking is, like, okay, maybe it is a troll and he's a human with this insanely high emotional intelligence that has the ability to manipulate people because that's really what he's doing mm-hmm. he is he is taking finding all these mini groups that have like these small bits of anger in them and then and appealing to all of them to get mm-hmm. like this huge raucous group behind him right and you, you have to have very high emotional intelligence to be able to connect with people like that even if it is horrible so I'm hoping that's what he's doing just to show us, like, look how you can take advantage of people and you can't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope so, I guess. Yeah. Is that the best case scenario? Yeah, because if he wins, who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah, part of me is like, well, if he does win, maybe, you know, sometimes you have to hit your rock bottom moment. Maybe. And yeah. as a country, maybe that's just the rock bottom moment and uh, everyone just kind of rebounds from there. Yeah. I mean, you you live in the states. Yeah. So you you have even like a deeper sense of what it's like. Yeah, and, and you know, like there are parts of the of the states that which a lot of people ask me, why don't you just stay and, and work there and mm-hmm. you know live your life there? As like a social justice yeah. person, there's a lot. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of a lot but of stuff I to work really, on there. But there was a lot of parts of the United States that like I really didn't like. Like what? I didn't vibe about. I didn't like the gun culture. Mm-hmm. I was very much against it, and a lot of people, at, like I remember in school, would tell me like, "Hey, do you want to come shoot guns?" I'm like, no, I don't want to shoot guns. Like I really have no desire to shoot guns, and and it was, it's really is a melting a melting pot of people versus what we are here in Canada, like in the Mosaic, and people. The funny thing is, people in the states always tell me like, "Oh, why don't you guys have so much? Why don't you guys have national pride? You guys don't care about Canada." I'm like, to be honest, it's because. We, everyone's prideful of where they come from. Like, yeah, we're all Canadians and that's how we're connected, but like, I'm happy that I'm Filipino, Lebanese. That person's happy because they're Portuguese. That person's pumped because they're Italian. And we're celebrating mm-hmm. all these different cultures all the time, every day. But like, in the States, it's like, no, I'm American first, then everything else next. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't love that about it. It wasn't really as diverse. Yeah, there was a lot of mix of culture and races, but it wasn't diverse in that sense. And it really didn't appeal to me. I felt like an outsider when I lived there. And I felt like that the whole three years that I was there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
So you wouldn't necessarily go back and live there? No, no. no. There are parts of it that like that were like had a very Canadian feel. Like California was really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, state of Washington was very like BCS. But like a lot of pockets of the states, I was like, I, like the South. When I went, I went and visited a friend in Alabama, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot be here. I need right. To get out. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it's a, it's a country that's produced so much um, thought and art and, and um, you know, performance and all, all these different levels, but it, it seems to come at an amazing, um, like, cost. Yeah. Right? Like, the poverty gap there is huge. The middle class is almost eroded. It's almost mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, slavery. Like, that's mm-hmm. the legacy of uh, the United States, and we're, they're still recovering from it, but there's yeah. a lot of wage slavery, too. Yeah, there is. And there's a huge disparity in, in the way people make their living there and, and people don't care. Like we, they, when it's funny, when I was in school, people would joke all the time about like the socialist cause that we have in Canada. Mm-hmm. But I'm really happy at that fact. Like people should have a security net. Like they should have a security blanket that, mm-hmm. and if you fall, there is someone to pick you back up. In the right. States, if you fall, like you fall, like no one's there to help you at all. Like, and even in the literal sense, if you fall and cut your knee, there is nobody there for you mm-hmm. if you can't afford it. Like, right. That's it. Like, it's weird. They, uh, you know, Bill Maher. Uh, do you ever watch yeah, Real Time with Bill Maher? Yeah. Like, he, uh, you know, he's great at, like, identifying the hypocrisy of socialism in the yeah. United States because they're like, well, we don't want to be socialists. We don't want to be communists. You know, Obama's a socialist, whatever. But if you look at the, you know, since basically after World War II and FDR's, you know, New Deal and all that stuff, they were socialist. Very much so. Very socialist yeah. in the way they, uh, you know, they created uh, social security and all these other systems that, that essentially helped create a middle class. Mm-hmm. And it was from that middle class that all the great innovation kind of came about and, and the political movements and all the great culture was out of that middle class. And um, that was largely socialist. Mm-hmm. And for them to, you know, deny that there's, you know, yeah. socialism is never a part of, of the, you know, tradition of greatness is, is, is kind of crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and it's funny, and the United States has a huge military uh, heritage as well, and they want all the support for their veterans mm-hmm. and, like, providing with all this work. But that's, that's a socialist network it to is. create jobs for them, to give them security, to put, give them adequate, like, health care. And but they decry that 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 method, and it's 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 really troubling. It was troubling to see when I like lived there. It's weird, especially with the military culture, you yeah. know, and, and going over going overseas to you know fix problems that aren't yours. Yeah. Um, and then you know soldiers come back and are largely unsupported. Yeah. Right. Like you have to have outside, uh, you know, third party organizations mm-hmm. to actually help soldiers recover from you know PTSD and things like that. Like it's really fucked up. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like you know the places where you actually should be really socialist. Um, you know that that should be the backbone of what you do. If you're going to go out and and solve the world's problems and you're going to use mm-hmm. your own people to uh, to do that, well, you have to support them. Yeah. In that process, right? Yeah, definitely. It definitely. It's it's it's. It's something that like I don't know how to come to grips with whenever I go speak to my American friends and like a lot, luckily a lot of my friends and the group that I found in law school are very like liberal in the way they think. Mm-hmm. But you know, you come I still would come across friends there that were just so red in the way they thought about the world and the way they think about even Canada and the way they view me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's 
it's weird. It's it's a weird place. The United States is a weird place. Yeah, yeah I love sense. it. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like it's, I it's, really it's, do. It's interesting to sit back and watch it. And even when I was there, it was interesting to sit and watch like the political race to talk to even watch just like their local internal governments yeah. political races, and seeing how people talked about things. Like it's it's unbelievable. Like you never see that here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and you know we're Canada. We're this country that is formed out of people who complied. Yeah. Right. The loyalists. Like, okay, well, we're going to stay with England, and and you know, the U.S. were these like you know badass rebels who uh, essentially said, no, we're going to do it our way. Yeah. And um, I mean, with that came a lot of you know shitty things, right? But but that spirit is pretty strong, and like I said, it's produced so much innovation, it's produced so mm-hmm. much good, so much culture, mm-hmm. um, and it's produced a lot of bad shit too. And I yeah. think they're at this point of. Uh, it seems like chaos and madness, but really, ultimately, I think it's it's a lot of self-reflection. Yeah. And that self-reflection, I'm optimistic it'll start to produce, um, you know, the things that that country really needs to be strong. Because they need to be a leader. Like, the world does need a leader, I think. I think and, so, too. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, we've benefited from them. We don't have to have, you know, in Canada, a strong military because essentially mm-hmm. our land is protected. Mm-hmm. No one's going to invade us because we know we've got, you know... Uh, we've got an ally. And so I think that's so amazing that we're able to, uh, you know, to have our freedoms because of them. But it's it's sad, I think, uh, you know, seeing where they falter and and how uh, they they could be better. And it seems to be, you know, the solutions are right there in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, hopefully this this current election cycle will expose the weaknesses and, uh, you know, move them towards more of like a positive culture definitely yeah right? definitely uh did you watch crossfit games yeah i did yeah? yeah yeah how'd you like it i loved it and uh i, re- I remember we talked about it and i used to really not like matt fraser but mm-hmm. i was so badly rooting for him this year like yeah. i just and i loved seeing how dominant he was all throughout it like mm-hmm. i i really loved seeing that and i loved the battle on the girl side that was great that was cool yeah. i mean that was really the only thing like that was uh, like a, like at the last day, really the only competition going, right? Yeah, pretty much. Fraser pretty much had won it. Yeah, you know the team event like cross. Yeah, that was even, won yeah, it. that wasn't even a question if they no. were gonna win or not. Yeah, yeah, the girls like basically to the last event. Yeah, came down to the last much. event. Yeah, yeah, I was. It was cool, man. It was cool. Uh, I like Katrine. Like I just like her demeanor. She's mm-hmm. chill. Sarah's cool. Mm-hmm. And Tia Toomey was really. She's great. Something. And and I really loved actually the doc, the mini doc that. CrossFit did on her, mm-hmm. and she talked a lot, a lot about like female image within CrossFit, and body image, and, and self-esteem uh, issues. And it was really cool to hear that side of her and her dealing with that while like trying to be an amazing CrossFit athlete. And like literally, uh, what in like you know a few days going to the Olympics? Yeah, which is phenomenal. Like she's an unbelievable athlete. Like mm-hmm. yeah, for her to do CrossFit Games and the Olympics, it's, it's phenomenal. yeah. Talk about performance stress and yeah, yeah. And she's there with everything, dealing with that. It's it's really like, cool to see that. Um, so what's your who are your picks for the uh, for the NBA uh, finals this season? <laughs> well, I honestly like. I think this is going to be the one year where there's not going to be a single bit of drama in basketball. Like it's going to be. I think it's going to be Golden State and I think All it's going to be Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who wins. I I have this feeling that LeBron is going to get into Kevin Durant's head again. Like he always does. Every time Kevin Durant plays plays LeBron, he just it's like his weakness to play against LeBron. And I think it's going to be tight. I think it'll be Game Seven. I think with that. Game. Really. And then I don't wow. know. Wow. Yeah, I think it will be. I think the only thing that's going to be interesting to watch is uh, if Golden State can actually perform with four 
superstars. Yeah. Like superstars of superstars, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there enough, you know, ball for everybody? Yeah. And like right now with USA basketball, I watched their game on Tuesday, exhibition game against China. Mm. And, and that was a small window to see what they were going to be like because they had Clay, Draymond, and Durant playing together. It was a lot of like, Draymond wasn't getting a ton of touches. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. Draymond has such a big personality and a huge ego. Mm. It's really going to come down to him, I think, to see if he can deal with the fact that like he has to really take a step back in, in his role. He's the hinge. Yeah. And because Steph's always going to, he's going to always have the ball because he's the point guard. Clay is a catch and shoot player. He doesn't really create for himself, so it doesn't really matter. And then Durant's going to get his touches because Durant, mm-hmm. and like, I think it's going to fall down to Draymond if he's going to be okay with only taking five, six shots a game. Because there were times last year where he wanted to take like 20 shots a game. And Kerr was like telling him, Stop he wants to be a guy. He wants to be the guy that steps yeah. up, right? Yeah. Well, that's always the thing with, uh, you know, with team sports, like who's actually going to, yeah. you know, sacrifice their own game in favor of the team. And that's, that's their, you know, that's their model, strength in numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what Durant, I think, said about, why he chose Golden State is yeah. because he liked that mentality. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, like a few years ago when it was LeBron's super team with Bosch and, and Wade, everyone shit on Bosch because they were like, oh, you used to be this great superstar and now you're, you do nothing. But like, you know what? He did nothing because he sacrificed. Sure. He, he decided not to score 25 points a game and get 15 rebounds. He was the linchpin that allowed that super mm. team to work. And that's now going to be Draymond's role. Like, is, is he willing to take a huge step back, just focus on defense, yeah. get some rebounds, and then let them do the scoring? Because he doesn't need to score anymore. No. 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 Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, yeah. what happens. Yeah. Uh, cool, man. Yeah. Um, well, this has been awesome, dude. Great chat. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, we should just always have a microphone around. I think I might just mic myself up and yeah. <laughs> record conversations. Uh, cool. Uh, if anyone wants to hit you on social media, I don't, or do you do social media at yeah, all? Yeah, do you, I have. Do you uh, care about it? Yeah, I have, I have an Instagram, Elgin's Diner. Okay. It's what is it? Elgin's Diner. Okay. It's uh, after uh, a diner in Ottawa that like, I fell in love with the really? university. Yeah, Elgin Street's Diner. Yeah, shout out to Elgin Street Diner. Best poutine. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I'm on the whole 30 right now, so like, poutine is just, oh. Yeah. Just hearing you say that. Yeah. That's putting me in a dark place. Um, cool, man. Well, this has been super fun. So uh, are you uh, going to work out after this? I'm coming back this afternoon. Okay. Doing my own snatch session. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Get up to that 160. Uh, cool, man. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. See you later. Bye.